Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I just sneezed. Thank you for keeping us up to date on that. That's, that's <laughs> an important safety tip during a pandemic. You want to let people know when there's globules around, even though none of us are in the same physical space. Also joining us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. I have not sneezed in some time. That's depending on what some time means, that could be an indication of good health or really concerning health. First one, then the other. Yeah. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, San Francisco, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I feel like Matt just called us a bad word because I don't know what glomules are, but um, I hope it's a good thing. There are a lot of words I didn't have to know what they meant before this whole thing, but now I do. I do like the idea of Jed just going to his doctor and being like, I haven't sneezed in three years. Is that normal? (laughs) (laughs) No. No. Speaking of things that aren't normal, he said, clumsily creating his own segue, I'm forced to declare a holiday shopping emergency. Oh, my. Oh, what? This is, it really, really is. This is a a product that was sent to us, uh, sent to me on Twitter from an uh, awesome person and super fan, Miss Mary. And it is, I'm just going to read the description. We'll get into it in a second. This appears to be a, a Craigslist a Craigslist kind of listing or something like that. Enduring freedom, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Which kind of sounds like a, like a John Piper book that was translated into Japanese and back. <laughs> <laughs> but it is not. It is an action figure. I will read the next thing down. Enduring freedom, Jesus Christ, doll with rocket launcher. Oh my. Okay. Ages four and up. 12-inch Lord and Savior action figure with desert camo, canteen, belt, knife, light mortar rocket launcher includes projectile bombs with depleted uranium tips. Plastic, $24.99 in stock. Yeah. Wow. Uh, dude, it, it, you should have taken that exit about... A hundred miles back, but this is a good time to get right off this road. I'm concerned about why they felt the need to point out that this plastic thing has depleted uranium tipped mortars. (laughs) I mean, okay. I'm going to try and understand this from this perspective of, you know, sometimes you like one thing and then you like another thing and you want to smoosh them both together. Sure. Chocolate, Uh, peanut butter, et cetera. Yeah, you know, that sometimes it works out like that. But if you just say, I think, uh, you know, mortars that rock, that launch rockets is just really cool. I just love that idea. I, I'm, I'm not sure I get 100% of that, but okay, you can, that's, you know, the technology of it and whatever and have you, and okay. And, and then there's love in Jesus, and that part I do get. But kind of trying to hook those up together, <laughs> uh, like because here's one thing: one of them is called the Prince of Peace. Oh, <laughs> so there's a big problem right there, just from from the get go. Look, I like nachos and I like swimming pools, 
And it's time for me to bring those two things together. And I don't care what the haters say. It's nacho pool time, and it's happening. We've accidentally unleashed Jed's id this week on the podcast. Because that wasn't a joke, people. I like the idea of the uh, Enduring Freedom Jesus Christ doll. He's got the, uh, the, the pull string on the back. And, yes. And then he, he says... Like in a real deep kind of uh, action movie voice, like they call me the Prince of Peace. Watch me make some peace. <laughs> yeah. And well, also, Matt, I just want to know what you think about this because I know that it has not escaped your eagle eye that the word "savior" on the description was spelled in the English sense with a "u" in it, and that just leaves me more confused maybe about that one point than anything else in this whole deal. Well, they're trying to fancy it up. And I, I do have a theory that, that that ties into, and I think we can, we can expand it out and maybe make a business opportunity for ourselves as we enjoy doing on the podcast. Mm. I, I just have a, a vision of some enterprising businessman just who had a whole bunch of Jesus figurines that he couldn't do anything with. They just weren't moving. So right. he had the idea, as Glenn is pointing out too, of, well, let's customize these up. Yeah. What do the kids love? The kids love a G.I. Joe. Let's go ahead and make Jesus I. Joe and see what happens here. G.I. <laughs> Jesus would have been a right. much better pun there, but it is quite late, yeah. so I'm doing what I can. And I just love that idea of I got a bunch of Jesus figures. I got a warehouse full of action figure clothes, and I got to start making some product that's going to move. It's kind of the, the next evolution of we've maybe all seen like the the porcelain figures. Maybe if you grew up in the South, your grandma might have had. And it's it's Jesus, but he's sitting with the kid who's playing football or it's Jesus playing, you know, some other sport with the kids. It's trying to trying to personalize it. Right. But I, I think the idea in this because, you know, it's 2020. We're all trying to do the best we can. And every holiday season, it's so hard to shop for people. But can we, if you could get a customized Jesus for someone? Oh, yeah. Like, I have, I, as I am, we mentioned on the show, I have many fans who are, who are professional wrestling fans. So it's Jesus, but he's got a steel chair. <laughs> right. Nice. Like, it's an action right. set where instead of whipping the money changers, he power bombs them through the tables. Thank you. And that's where you get well, the ancillaries. But I think the yeah. personalizing is a way to go. What's Jesus's walk on music, Matt? I mean, I'm I'm gonna have to go Handel's Messiah. It feels a little, you know, grandiose, but or for for Randy Savage and Ric Flair, like like one of those Handel's Messiah retunes with like the huge metal drums and like a uh, you know distorted guitar. Well, yeah, that's like for the big the show. Hook. It's normally the, exactly what you're used to, but then when he kind of goes Hollywood, when he's about to turn heel, it just kind of yeah, you really get the alternate pitch for. For Jesus' walk on music, please Just putting it out there. If it doesn't work, send it back. Bee Gees staying alive. Oh, <laughs> strong! I like that. That's strong, incredible. <laughs> I think that one thing that's going to happen to me all week now is I'm just going to be thinking of Bible verses that would be a great lead in to the pull string on uh, enduring freedom, Jesus Christ. Like, uh, like I said, love thine enemies. After I've mortared their towns or something like that, you know, just right. like a, you start with a Bible verse and then enduring freedom, Jesus Christ drops the elbow. Well, yeah, it's just, uh, there's a lot of heavy editing of like, 
I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Hard cut. Don't get to the rest of the verse. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> well, I, I had a, one other suggestion on the, the walk-on music. And if you know the lyrics, you'll know how sublimely well this fits. The uh, Enduring Freedom Jesus Christ Rocket Launcher Doll. And that would be uh, Black Sabbath's War Pigs. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, yeah, some people got that, and the ones that got it loved it. But here's it was what, worth it. Here's what I'm saying: I don't, I don't know, like what your theologicals are, because you know some people are strong on on the details, and some aren't. But do you think Jesus needs a rocket launcher? Because <laughs> we may need to go back over Jesus one more time. Yeah, he could do the smiting if he wanted to. He created the whole world by speaking it into existence. He probably doesn't need to launch rockets out of a mortar. Well, now I'm picturing the the kind of updated camo cover Bible that, you know, someone who doesn't know what to get their nephew gets them. And it's just the retooling of Jesus in the garden of, you know, do you not think that if I, I wanted to, I can unleash a, a legion of rocket launcher holding angels? <laughs> also he appears to be in the united states army and i'm not sure that's uh right. i don't know if that tracks either that may be one of the more the more worrying elements but i just you know i'm worried that these people decided we're gonna cross jesus with gi joe you know known quantities i'm just worried what else they tried like I don't, I don't want a a religious themed Furby. I don't think anyone wants that. I don't think that's what we need. I just, just maybe do less would be my message to some of our toy maker friends this holiday season. Just, just keep it easy. <laughs> also, I love the twenty four ninety nine price point because you're only selling three of these, so you might as well make it cost like two hundred seventy bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get the feeling that the, the kind of person who loves this, and please give us a call if you're one of those people. <laughs> we can talk you down. It's it's fine. But if you're one of those people, you'll pay more than 25 bucks for this thing. All I'm saying. But seriously, give us a call. <laughs> because uh, Please don't call the podcast. I don't even know how that would work, but it would be very, very disturbing. If you're the kind of person who wants Jesus firing uranium deple- depleted uranium-tipped mortars, I don't. I'm very uncomfortable with you having my phone number. I don't know about Can all I just that. say one more thing about this thing? Please do. The, watching this reminds me of a thing I think we should say more often on the podcast. If you are in a non-America country— and and that's how we think of you, the non-Americans and Americans. If you're in a non-America country, I cannot stress this strongly enough. Do not imitate American Christianity Dang. At, at all. <laughs> like, do not look and say, well, this is what they're doing in America. It seems to be working. Let's copy that. Do not. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're at a particular uh, risk of anyone thinking it's working at this point, so there's at least that. Yeah, please, please don't. Please, it, it, it is, this is not working. This is, uh, 
you know, don't, 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 uh, don't take any hints from any of this. Well, that actually leads me to maybe the least depressing explanation for this. And it goes okay. back to what Lee gave us the clue and this whole thing with the spelling of savior with the extra flourish of a U that our, <laughs> our friends in the Commonwealth use. Is it possible this is a British and or Canadian manufacturer who thought to themselves, this is probably what Americans like. <laughs> First of all, that's completely horribly xenophobic. Second of all, yeah, maybe. Also, is it, I'd like to see what else they would come up with. Like, is there jet ski Jesus? Right. Definitely. Is Jesus behind like, a barbecue. Like hot dog eating contest Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, there have to be these things. All the American stereotypes, you know. A Jesus reading a, a private health insurance bill and just looking very befuddled and angry. <laughs> <laughs> Tech bro Jesus. He comes with his own Patagonia vest. <laughs> Whoa. It looks awful, but it cost $140. Yeah, now, now I'm interested. I wonder if this is a gift that people in other English-speaking nations give each other to make fun of Americans. Okay. Well, if if that's true, and it, it certainly would fit, I, we're horribly, horribly offended. But also, yeah, yeah, you're you right. Nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow, uh, other people in the world, intuiting that this is what Americans like, making a product to mock us, is the better explanation on this thing. And on that bombshell, I think we're forced to declare emergency off. Yes, we, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to get into the Christmas spirit ourselves. We're not manufacturing anything, but we are, you know, bringing you a bridge box this month about peace on earth and how to be a part of that. Uh, no uranium depleted anything's involved, which is good news. Of. Cause you know, I think, uh, Lee and I, both of we, if we really, really <sighs> needed to get our hands on some depleted uranium, we might know the right people, at least the people who know the people to ask. Yeah. If you are the NSA agent uh, assigned to recording this phone call and reporting on it, that was a joke. Please yeah. <laughs> leave us alone. But we are talking sermons, songs, Bible says, all sorts of good stuff on how to be part of peace on earth at missionusa.com slash bridge box. We are still bringing you the bridge live every single week at 7.30 p.m. Central Time, facebook.com slash the bridge Chicago. And if you can't join us live, you can always watch later every episode is under the videos tab at our Facebook page. We do hope you'll join us. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you have this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways to get in touch with us, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links you find there. Our first question comes in and says, I've been doing great for a little while, but only when things go according to plan. If I miss a meeting or a surprise bad day comes up at work or home, it throws me off. It's confusing to me that one day everything could seem so easy and the next day everything seems kind of impossible. Since God knows everything, how does he expect us to deal with unexpected changes? And a really, really cool question. Kind of piggies back over something we talked about in our last episode with kind of the, the pandemic throwing off the dating stuff and very kind of similar vibe there. And Lee, where would we start off? I would say thanks for writing that in. That's that's a lot of uh, of good vulnerability there. And I think... Uh, you having the courage to write this question in is going to help a lot of people. 
Because the fact is that a, a lot of people deal with this very issue of, I, I, I do fine until something happens that, that goes sideways. And, and then, then I do really, really not fine. So um, thanks for writing that in. I would start by saying this. God doesn't expect you to be amazing at it. Actually, God's, God doesn't have expectations in the same way that we do. God knows he knows the trajectory of growth that you're on. He knows when you're going to arrive at the place that he's growing you into. God intends you to grow. He doesn't expect you to start out amazing at this. And the cool thing about God's um, intention for your growth is that he's extremely patient about that process. That's something that's worth kind of camping out on for a moment. Um, there's a place in the book of First Timothy where the Apostle Paul actually says that he that he basically puts it out there the reason god saved me was to demonstrate how amazingly patient he is because paul says i am the worst i'm the worst of us everybody's a sinner i'm the worst one that we've got and so god saved me as kind of a way to show off how amazing his patience is and he goes on to say in first timothy that that god's patience is boundless and what he does is he uses this Greek construction. I, I lifted Glenn's uh, key card to the nerditorium there when he wasn't looking. But he uses a Greek construction, which is where he takes the word boundary and then he puts a little A in front of it, which negates the entire word after it, um, like the word atypical or atonal, um, and it's, which means it's not typical or it's not tonal, has no tonality. So what Paul does is he takes the word boundary, like a fence, and then he puts the little letter A in front of it, which means that Jesus's patience has no fence. He has no boundary. It is literally boundless patience. That's good news for you, and it's good news for me, because it means that we're in a process with someone who is so patient that he literally has no boundary on his patience. I would say this, as you're kind of looking at, and by the way, you should know for me as a as a parent i feel like um with with my kids one of the things that i want to help them to understand and to grow in more than maybe anything is this idea that sometimes things are not going to go the way that you hoped or planned and the way that you respond to that is um is an important part of you growing into the person that you're going to be and so it makes a lot of sense to me that, that God is interested in this process in your life and in my life, and then he presents us with the kind of challenges that help us to grow in this. That just makes a lot of sense to me because it's definitely something that I as a parent want to help my kids to understand. Um, so I would say this on a practical level. I would say that one thing that we can, that we can do uh, as we're trying to grow in this and get better in it is to start to recognize patterns and specifically places in your life that tend to go sideways. And, and then once we identify those, start to kind of develop a plan for when the plan fails. Start to develop a backup plan. Let me give you an example from my life. <laughs> this is a, it, it's, it, as my wife listens to this episode, she will be nodding her head in total agreement, but when my parents come to visit, it always goes sideways. It's never what I want it to be. It's never what I expect it to be. And so I have to plan for those visits. I have to get my mind right. I have to make some, I have to make some, some uh, strategies that I, can, that I can 
get in place so that I can do those things well, because I know it's not going to go in the perfect way that I want it to go. And when I can recognize those patterns in my life, then I can start to develop a strategy. And then those kinds of those kinds of backup plans will flood their banks into other areas of my life so that I can cope with other things that are going sideways. Um, a quick example um, from our from for our kids is one of the things that we've noticed is whenever we when we play board games with our kids, especially when they were much younger than they are now, um, that would be one of those situations that would start out really fun and then go really badly if somebody started to lose. They would get really upset. They would get frustrated. They would get you know they they would uh, you know the tempers would flare and and you know and it would just turn into a bad situation. And one of the strategies that we developed for our kids was, okay, we want to have a fun time as a family playing this board game. So before we start it, let's all stack hands on this idea coming up here. Let's set a goal. My goal is not to win this game. My goal is to have a good time with the people that I'm hanging out with and playing this game with. I may not win this game. I may lose it. But that's not my goal. My goal is to have a fun time with the people that I'm with. That kind of a little mantra, that kind of a little, uh, little script to run through right before we would play the game, shockingly had a huge impact on the way the rest of that night would go. Because we've, we've gone ahead and made a plan for and strategized something that we've noticed as a pattern in, in normal life of like, it's hard for me if I lose a board game. So let me change that goal. And then playing board games can be a totally different situation. So I think if we start by recognizing some patterns, then we can develop some strategies for places that get a little out of hand or that go, that, that go the way you don't want to when they, when, you know, develop a backup plan. And that can help you start to understand and grow in this idea of when plans fall apart. It's an excellent, excellent place to start off. I love what what Lee gave us there. And Glenn, what would we add to that? Well, I think when when everything goes wrong, uh, what uh, you, you know, you're asking, uh, you know, how does God expect us to deal with those unexpected changes? His expectation is that we would grow in intimacy with Him when things go wrong. Mm. Uh, that's a crazy expectation on a brother like me, because when everything goes wrong with me, the first thing I do is put my hands on the controls and try and fix everything. Uh, that, and it only makes sense. You know, it, it, everything going wrong seems like a good time for a lot of action. And, you know, uh, in fact, a lot of reaction, just no thinking, just react and <laughs> freak out and all of that. Uh, but God's uh, trying to teach us through all these ups and downs that we will go through and all, all of the failed uh, plans and whatnot, that we find intimacy with him, that we, we ask him, okay, Lord, what now? Uh, I think sometimes we feel, I mean, we, we, we tend to put our hands on the controls, as I'm saying here, but then we sort of feel like Maybe there's something wrong with that attitude of saying, God, what now? Because it's sort of putting everything on him, and I'm not supposed to do that. I'm supposed to figure everything out on my own, uh, even though that's the opposite of what God wants and what he says in his word, that we're not to lean on our own understanding, that we're supposed to cast our cares on him, and all of those kinds of verses. So um, I think if you find yourself in those moments 
reacting as I do to to uh, plans going wrong, then by all means recognize that intimacy is the answer to that. The Bible says that God is uh, the God of all comfort. Uh, it does not say that he is the God of all stability. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you want to make note of that, because my life, uh, since I've been following the Lord, has not been a lot of stability to it. What? <laughs> now, what's funny is it's all somehow miraculously, and I don't use that word lightly, miraculously worked out, but, you know, it's looked hairy the whole way through. Um, there are many times where I say, I feel confident the Lord will will help me, but I can't even figure out what he could do to fix this situation. And then he does something like, oh, yeah, he could have done that. I, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's one way to do it, you know. Um, it, God is, is ready to give you comfort, uh, but uh, stability is a different thing. Uh, uh, as we talked about in previous uh, recent podcasts, we tend to think that uh, stability and smooth road and all that, that's what makes us uh, really Christian. If you took all of these obstacles and all these crazy people away from me, I'm pretty sure I'd be the best Christian in the world. But the truth is, I start really growing when I go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to kill all these people, and why does the plan have to change every five minutes, and where are you in all of this, and what am I supposed to think? That's When I listen to the answers to all those things, that's when I grow. So it, it's not it's a time for engaging more in in the kinds of questions that you are asking right now, and and that's why we we think you're cool and we think you're awesome. Final point in this: what you're really describing is goal based thinking as opposed to plan based thinking. Uh, the example that Lee gave us is we're going to have a plan. The plan is we're going to have fun. We might. If if you say the plan is we want to do some outreach, the plan is we want to start a new Bible study, the plan is we want to learn how to bake cookies and, and then take them to people and encourage them during the pandemic, whatever it is. That's the, the we have a goal, and we, we're going to develop the goal and say we want to encourage people. Well, let's say the, the oven stops working. Well, we could do other things. We can create other things. We can figure out other ways of doing something with food to you know show people that we care. So we can change the plan, but still achieve the goal. All right. For us, in, in our ministry, we put together goals, and we have a different plan every week because things change. Uh, things that worked great stopped working. Things that were supposed to work never did work. Uh, and we're dealing with a lot of variables here. So we change that plan constantly. We're used to that plan changing. We're comfortable with that. We we come up with a plan with the idea that that's probably going to get tweaked a whole lot. And so we're not going to hold on to that dearly. And we're not counting on the plan working out in order for us to have happiness or whatever. We're just focused on the goal. If 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 something if we come up with a plan and it doesn't quite work right, we could still look back and say, okay, 
we've learned something from that. And by learning something, we are, in a sense, closer to our goal, even though the plan hasn't worked out. We now have an idea of how to come up with plan B. And plan B is bound to be better and smarter and more informed than plan A. So we're getting closer. We're getting where we're going. We're pushing towards our goal here. Uh, I think if you have that focus on the goal and you're very loose with the concept of the plan, you're going to end up uh, being much less frustrated, but you will also need to constantly be going back to the Lord and saying, okay, that didn't work. What's next? And I think that's exactly where he wants you. It's a great point. A really, really cool place to take that. And Jed, where would we round this out? You've heard a lot of great stuff. Uh, There's not a ton to add. So I'm just going to offer one little thing. And that is learning to acknowledge your emotions without being overwhelmed by them, without ceding control to them is super important. Mm. Like really, really important. One of the things that I think a lot of people struggle with is they may have an emotion and they just don't notice that they have it until it's so overblown that it has taken all control of the situation and their faculties. So uh, people who struggle with anger, uh, it's a fairly common thing to not notice that they are becoming more and more and more angry until they are overwhelmed with anger and now the police are getting called. And that's obviously not a good way to live, and that's not what we want for you. And so, first, it is, you know, I, as I read your question, it, it sounds to me like things freak you out. Um, something happens, and now I feel freaked out, which I'm, that's not a fun way to feel, and I'm sorry for it. It turns out there's a significant difference between feeling freaked out versus behaving in a freaked out fashion. Those are two very, very different things. And you can actually feel somewhat unnerved, feel somewhat disoriented, feel somewhat freaked out, and still do all of the right stuff, still do the stuff that you need to do to deal with the situation that you're in. And if you can dig it, that's where we want to get to. We want to get to a place where we can own, I feel a little weird, man. I feel a little freaked out. I feel a little uneasy, to quote the dude. Uh, but I also, because I have a plan, as Lee discussed, and because I'm getting strength from the Lord, as Glenn discussed, I am prepared to take the next step on this plan in spite of my feelings. I'm not ignoring them. To the contrary, I am monitoring them because mm. I know they can get to a place that would really knock me off my square. So I am monitoring them and I'm figuring out how do I get that strength from the Lord so that I can execute the next step on the plan. If you, as you grow in to that kind of approach, you are going to become unstoppable. If you get to a point where you can get a good plan and you can get strength from the Lord and you can monitor your emotional state as things shift around you, there's nothing you can't do. Right on. Absolutely nothing you can't do. And that's where we want to see you get. And that's where the Lord wants to see you get. Absolutely right. You can't, as we often talk about on the show, you can't always read reality into your feelings. Maybe you've just had a rough night and you hate the Eagles and that's okay too. <laughs> Get out of my move cab. On to our next question here, it comes in and says, a friend of mine has become very difficult to be around. They're always asking for money or complaining about some elaborate mess they've gotten themselves into. My friends and I are happy to help, but sometimes we don't and we can't and he gets mean and angry. Am I being manipulated and how does God want me to respond to this in my life? And a very 
a good question, some we've looked at at one of our bridge lives in the recent past. But, uh, Glenn, where do we start off here? Well, bless your heart. Uh, you, I don't know if you're being manipulated, but you're definitely being shook down. This, this is a full-on shakedown. Uh, if somebody points a gun at you and says, give, give me your money or I'll shoot, that's, that's a shakedown. If somebody says, give me some money or I'll be mean and angry, that's a shakedown. It's the same, same difference. There's a threat uh, involved in that. Uh, and that could be on sort of a bullying level. That could be on, I'm just going to be sort of bratty. It could be, you know, I'm just going to be unpleasant to be around. Any of those things, it's still a shakedown. It's still a, a, a way of saying, give me what I want, or I will on some level punish you uh, for saying no to me. Um, now, off of that, uh, once we look at that with sort of an unblinking stare, uh, it looks pretty bad, and I think, you know, we're trying not to see that because we think, well, if we see it that way, that means we sort of have to be very negative about this, and we have to start cutting this person out of our lives. We have to start, you know, sort of a, an extreme response to that. But I don't think that's true either. Uh, I think the key is anytime you're in a situation remotely like this, is to dig in and start asking lots of questions about what's going on here. And I want all the details. I'm asking personal questions. I'm asking uncomfortable questions. If you want my money, don't tell me about you don't want to talk about it. Here's what I, I'm, I'm paying for it. So we're going to, we, I, I'm in on the whole deal. You want to kick the tires. Exactly right. I, I don't want to know what it is I'm buying, for God's sake. That's that's true in any other area of my life. I deserve it here. But here's the thing, and this is the good news part. If this person is it has a legit problem that needs a legit solution, they will gladly welcome all those questions and all those details because it's like, yeah, this is bad, and I just don't know if I can get people to pay attention to it and understand it and see all the aspects. And for sure, if there's a an easier or, or or more effective way for me to solve this problem, or there's some other resource that you have that you can use to help me out, I'd rather do that than spend your money. So that it's great. Thank you for being involved and caring and getting to know the, what's going on here. It might be a little painful for me, for me to talk about, but still, I'm going to be thankful that someone cares enough to really investigate what's going on and, and wanting to solve it on sort of a global level. Now, the, the, the counterpoint to that is if this person is on something shady, and just so you know, this is what people do when they're, they're looking for drug money. So I'm not saying that's what's happening here at all. I'm just saying that would be the first thought that would run through my mind. Um, if they're on something like that, and I, I hope he isn't. Uh, I'm assuming it's uh, he is. A, yeah, he is always... I, I I hope that it isn't anything like that, but if it is, I think you you'll tell right away that it's something shady. If you're investigating, looking for further details, and they don't want to give you any details, they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to they don't want to get into the ins and outs of that, and they get more angry the more questions are being asked. At that point, it's it's a good point to pull up and say. Come to me when you're ready to talk about it, because I want to help you on a larger level than just handing you some more money. 
we need to fix a big picture situation. When you're ready to talk about that, you come talk to me. Mm. So then you, you do your own deal. Um, final point on this, and I'll send it around to these other fellows, but let me ask you a hard question. Are you trying, is your goal to be seen as a charitable person? You know, we all want to be thought of as charitable. We, we all want to be thought of as, you know, I'm a generous person. Are you, is that your goal here, to be thought of as a generous person, or are you trying to help this person? Mm. Because uh, if you're trying to help them, you're not thinking about handing out free money is, a, is the best possible thing. And you're not worried about saying no to money if helping means looking at a bigger picture and saying, okay, you know, I, if somebody says, well, I need rent money, well, okay, but do you have a job and do you have a way of paying rent next, next month? Do we need to look at an alternate housing situation for you? You know, if, if, if you're in that place of looking to help, you're not, it's, again, it's not about the money. It's trying to fix the larger situation. If money's the only way to do that and, and that's the help that you want to give, then it fits. If it's a case of this is a bad plan and he's asking me to sponsor it, then the helpful and good and righteous thing is to say, no, you need to come back to me when you're ready to make real changes because this problem's going to keep going, and I mm. don't want that for you. An excellent, excellent place to start that off. And Jed, where do we take it from there? Well, you've already heard some great stuff. Um, weirdly, let's talk about lemonade for a second. So um, earlier back in the summer, not taking a walk, I pass an adorable lemonade stand. And they say, you know, please, please, please come buy our lemonade. So I go over, okay, I'll, I'll take a, a glass of lemonade. And uh, how much? And they say, well, it's 50 cents. Well, dear listeners, say that podcast, I don't want to flex it, but um, I can afford 50 cents for a cup of lemonade. Okay, no. Oh, fancy. So, I mean, I can't afford two of them, but one <laughs> cup of 50 cent lemonade I can do and so I did, and I, they got my 50 cents, and I got my lemonade, and we all left happy and pleased with ourselves. <clears throat> but now, if I had said, okay, I'll take some lemonade, how much? If they had said, that'll be $500, please. Well, all of a sudden, we have a problem, because I don't have $500 to give you. Uh, I mean, technically, I guess, but then I can't pay rent. And so what has happened is... I might have solved your need to sell lemonade, but I've just created a new problem for myself. Right. We have not decreased the total amount of problem in the world. We've just transferred it from one person to another. And that's <laughs> actually not making the world a better place. And so the takeaway from this is that whether it's money or time or your stuff or your attention, there's an amount that you are able to give to someone and it's no problem. You're happy to do it. That lemonade is 50 cents. Great. I'll take one. It, what that amount is varies for every person and it varies depending on the stage in your life. Um, some people, even if it's afford... bad lemonade, Jed, exactly. Even if it's terrible lemonade, you know, it's, it's 50 cents. Of course I'll take a 50 cent glass of terrible, terrible lemonade, but there's a point where, um, and again, it varies for everybody. It is by definition relative. Uh, where actually that would create a problem for me, for me to give you that much money or that much time or that much attention or that much, whatever that actually just makes a problem for me. And therefore, 
as I said a minute ago, we're no longer decreasing the amount of suffering in the world. We're just transferring it from you to me, and that's not going to work. Part of what that points to is the idea of knowing your limits and respecting your limits, Mm. right? People ask all the time for things that you can't do, practically speaking, because they're asking for something that's past the limit. And so if someone is asking for something that's past the limit, in a sense, it's good news because you should definitely just say no. Um, It's not a matter of um, whether or not it's a worthy cause. It's not a matter of how impressively put together the sob story is. It's just, dude, I don't have that. And here's the thing is if somebody reacts to I don't have that with anger or with bullying or with meanness, it is time for you to exit that relationship. Amen. Because that's just plain unacceptable. If someone comes to you and they say, would you like 50 cent lemonade? And you decide, "Eh, I don't know if I want to do that, which is your decision. It's your stuff. That's one thing. And we can, we can look at the ups and the downs, whatnot. But if they want $500 for lemonade, uh, again, in a sense, it's, it is very easy. It's just, I don't have that. So, uh, uh, sorry, dude. I, I, I hope you can find a customer that does. Um, if there's pushback on that point, that's definitely for sure telling you everything you need to know about that situation. The Bible says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver, and anyone that is insisting on pushing you into a place where you can't be cheerful about what you would be giving, we need to go ahead and, and um, flag that play. We need to go ahead and cancel that because that's that's not it. The one other thing that I would add is the importance of learning the art of the counteroffer. So someone yeah. says, mm. you know, uh, hey, uh, can you come over and help me move my furniture? A great thing, if it works for you, to say is, I can't do today, but how about next weekend? Um, I can't drive you to the store right now, but how about tomorrow? Um, I can't give you $500, but um, I can help you get to uh, the uh, the office that can help with those kind of things. Making a counteroffer, just so you know, is stuff that we do all the time in a professional yeah. context. I mean, all the time. And nobody likes having a counteroffer. I mean, no one makes a request thinking, golly gee, I hope they counteroffer me because that that would be weird. But you can tell a lot about the person and the nature of the request by how they respond to the counteroffer. Mm. If the response to the counteroffer per your question is meanness and anger, uh, dude, we're done here. Um, If the response is, golly gee, it turns out I lose the apartment tomorrow, so I have to move the furniture today. You know, if you can't help, I understand, but, but there actually, there is a time pressure and that's why, and I should have mentioned that. Oh, we can, we can look at that, but all of this is giving us more information to be able to make a better decision about what we do and don't want to do what we can and can't do. But bottom line, remember the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Don't let people put you in a position where you can't give in a cheerful way and, uh, learn deeply the art of the counteroffer. I love all of that. Judd, you have some great stuff there. And uh, all of what we've been talking about to this point, uh, Lee, is a version of boundaries that could be right. the, the the conversations Glenn's talking about. That could be the counteroffer. Um, turns out I only have a $450 a week lemonade budget, and $500 <laughs> is just beyond the pale, and I can't do that. That's a boundary. Um, I don't need your judgment about my finances. But uh, so l- take us a little bit deeper in that conversation because – 
it's all well and good to say you have to have boundaries, you have to be firm on them. But uh, what our, I think what our friend in the question points out is there's an emotional toll on that of setting that, of holding that, and you do have to know how to do that, right? Yes. I mean, everything that you, exactly as Matt's saying, everything that we've heard on this from from both Glenn and Jed is, is we, we have firmly you know, dealt with everything that needs to be dealt with. It, it only leaves one question out because these guys are exactly right about all these boundary settings. I think in my life, the weakness that I've that I've seen in myself when it comes to situations where I need to set up boundaries and didn't is because I was I had a hard time answering this question, and here it is, and it's a it's a sticky question, y'all. The question is, do you need this person's thumbs up? Yep. Yeah. Um, do you need this person to like you? Do you need this person to speak well of you and your group of friends? Do you need this person to, uh, to you know, whatever it is, to you know, is it a social media thing? Is it a friendship thing? Is it a community group thing? Is it is this a person who has sway over people, and do they have sway over you? This I think gets to the heart of the question. These guys have given us so much fantastic practical advice about setting boundaries, about maintaining boundaries, about the philosophy behind how we make these kinds of decisions. The emotional component, exactly as Matt's driving us, is when it comes down to brass tacks, do you need this person to like you? And that's the part that we've got to figure out because that that one question can turn the way we see every piece of wisdom that we've received from these other brothers. It can, it can turn the, the whole decision-making process on, on all of these boundary-setting questions is, yeah, but I want that person to like me. If we can get to the place where we know, where you know who you are as a child of God, and you know who you are in your group of friends, and you know who you are as a person created in the image of God, who Jesus loves, who God has a plan for, and I don't need anybody's thumbs up to just live my life and do my thing, then you can become free to make these decisions based on the wisdom and the will of God and all of, and and just like your your own finances, your own uh, energy level, your own bandwidth for helping people, all of that stuff that these guys are talking about. We we get into all kinds of issues of creating new problems and 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 you know uh, like that that thing that Jed said was so sharp about the transfer of problems from one person to other another rather than solving problems because I just really want that person's thumbs up if we can get free of needing the 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 appreciation and the 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 kudos from somebody who's influential in our community or whatever it is somebody that seems like a heavyweight then we can actually make the decisions that we need to in a healthy way i would encourage you and we and by the way this is the kind of question that we would love a follow up on we would love to delve into the subtlety of, of what it means to know who you are and to not need anybody's thumbs up, but to to have the security of knowing I'm a child of God. I have a place in this world. I get to make these kinds of calls. I get to draw these boundaries and it's a righteous and a holy and a good thing to do. And by the way, what these guys are describing, it is a loving thing to do. It is a loving thing to do to draw these kinds of boundaries over people in your life that may be on a hustle. But 
the whole thing gets thrown into confusion and fog if I need them to like me, if I need them to approve of me. So we've got to deal with that question so that we can see this clearly and make wise decisions. I think that's all really, really great stuff. I'll close out here by going back to uh, what Jed gave us with the idea of the cheerful giver. And I think we really need to get into what that means because it plays exactly along with what Glenn and Lee have said here. And I want to tie it into Lee's thing there about do we need the feedback from this person? Because that's not what being a cheerful giver is. If you if you can only feel good about this, if you get the external feedback from the person you're giving it to, that's not a cheerful gift and that's not necessarily a good decision. Now, some of that gets tied up because um, people very rightly, you don't want, you don't want someone to be a jerk to you when you give them something nice, obviously. So, and thankfulness and, and positive positivity is good, but we're not doing that for our ego. That's an indication of a healthy yeah. mindset. You know, if you, yeah. if you help someone out and they're legitimately thankful, that plays into this tapestry of stuff that Glenn was giving us about about wanting to move forward, about not being on the hustle and all that. And a lot of this is going to come down to you setting where all your your parameters are that you can do this and feel good about it. And feeling good yep. about giving someone a gift is not a bad thing. It's not a selfish thing. It's how it's supposed to work. You know, I will I will quickly share uh, two stories of my my best and worst experience giving uh, money, so, giving someone money on the street, which is something I don't do very often. It must be said, and that's kind of part of the work we do up here in Chicago. Uh, none of us carry cash much. It's just, you know, it's not a good habit to get into of, of handing people money at our, at our service. We have all that stuff kind of go through one staff person and Pete handles all that. Cause he does a great job understanding people's situations and giving them that, that real help. Uh, Glenn's talking about, but I was on vacation once and somewhere else. And a guy came up to me and uh, didn't look, you know, real hard, looked at the shovel and said, Hey man, do you, do you happen to have a buck? And I'm on vacation. I don't want to think about this. I have a dollar. It's worth a dollar for me to not be having this conversation anymore and not have to feel like I'm at work and go through the protocol. I said, you know what? I do. Reach my arm and a dollar. He said, and I'll never forget. Oh, you're a miracle. And walked off happy as Larry. I felt great about that interaction. It was not because it fed my ego, but because well, it seemed like that guy needed that. And it's a dollar. What do you want? Uh, another time it was here in Chicago and a, a person came up to me and do you have any money? It was a little late and this was a woman. And I, I do tend to give a little bit more. I do lean a little more to give out cash with a woman. And I, Said, you know what, ma'am, you bus, you need bus fare. Here you go. And she saw me pull out my wallet and take out the only two dollars I had in the wallet in cash, hand it to her, and her response was two dollars. This is not good customer service. I am not incentivized <laughs> to take another go round at this because that's a free two dollars. If someone gives you two dollars, why would you not be thankful about that? You have not made me cheerful about this interaction. But again, right. to Lee's point, that's not because I care what this random person on the street thinks about me. It's all about this interaction. Is this doing good? Is this something that's as to take it back to what Glenn and Jed were saying, does this feel like this is removing problems from the world and injecting something positive into it? And you get there by asking those questions, like Glenn was talking about understanding the situation. And like Jed and Lee were talking about, about some is about keeping those stakes low. If mm. someone asks for $5 one time, I, we don't want, we want to make sure they're not doing anything destructive with it to Glenn's, to Glenn's point, if I if I think someone's going to buy drugs with this, I'm not giving them a dime because that's just not helping. But that's one time. But you got to do that calculus for yourself, and that's you and the Lord going through and let your own happiness with the situation really 
be a bellwether. Don't don't be afraid of that. There's yeah. nothing Amen. wrong with that. We want this to be a good experience going forward. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and says, my spouse and I recently had a very tough conversation. Where it landed was that we're not on the same page about some major life things. We do want to make things work, so that's good. They suggested we go to therapy. What is the next move here? And a, a great question. And Jed, where would we start it off? Well, we're really glad you wrote in, and we're sorry for the tough times that you're going through. And you should definitely go to therapy for sure. Yep. That is definitely a thing you should do. Um, it's perfectly fine to audition a few different therapists and see if there's somebody that you and, and your spouse both really connect with. Uh, but you should definitely for sure go to therapy. With that established, let's look at something that will help make therapy successful. You say that you want to make things work, and that's great. That's really, really cool. If you want to make things work, then you need to be prepared to be the problem. Mm. And I want to ask you if you are prepared to be the problem. Because for two reasons. The first is, um, we mentioned on the show that that we oftentimes end up getting put in, in cleanup positions when people's lives go super, super wrong. And so um, I know personally a lot of couples who have attended about one and a half therapy sessions and around the moment that it became clear that one of the spouses was really definitely kind of the problem, that was the end of therapy. Um, because uh, I, I don't want to hear that and I'm not uh, open to hearing that. So that's one reason why, if you want to make things work, you need to be prepared to be the problem. Wow. The other reason for it is evangelical Christians in the United States are really surprised to discover that they can be a jerk. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's another conversation that actually all of us get a lot is, I couldn't believe it. Could you mm -hmm. believe that? that a person yeah. like me could be a jerk. And, yeah. you know, that's always a tender, sensitive moment. So we're, we're trying to, you know, not rub it in, <laughs> but inwardly we're always going, yes, of course I can believe it. Have you met you? Holy cow. Also, have you read the Bible where it says right. everyone is sinful? What is wrong with you? Yeah. What have you been listening to on Sunday morning, <laughs> the last 20 years? Were you reading Lord of the Rings? What is this? <laughs> Well, I've been listening from the VIP section, and we get a little different message right now. <laughs> so I, I think it's great that you want to make things work. I think that uh, going to therapy is a great idea. I think giving yourself permission to audition a couple of therapists is a, is a good idea. But I think being prepared wow. to be the problem is a really key part of that. And I think you should ask yourself if you're okay with that. And, and, and if you're not, why not? It turns out that there are a lot of lovely people in the world, myself included, who under the right circumstances can be a huge jerk. <laughs> and if you're not prepared to acknowledge your own jerkitude, we are not going to be able to fix anything. And so mm. that's, that's a question for both you and your spouses. Are you prepared to be the problem? Are you prepared to acknowledge your own jerkitude? Related to that is you, you wrote in your question, uh, that you're not on the same page about some major life things. Okay, I can I can dig that. I think it's worth both before, during, and after therapy to be asking yourself, how committed are you to whatever that position is? Yeah. Um, 
You know, we, we want to live in the suburbs versus the city versus the country. How committed are you to that? Like, I know that you feel like you're committed to it, but I think it's worth looking at how committed are you really? Are you committed because you're in an argument with a person and you feel like you have to stand your ground? Why are you committed to this thing? Maybe it goes back to just your core values and just where the Lord is leading you and just the fundamentals of who you are as a human being and you just can't imagine compromising on it. Maybe that's the case, and that may be the case for for certain aspects. Maybe it's a semi-arbitrary thing and you've just kind of always thought of things being that way. Yep. That happens a lot, man. Maybe it's something where your relatives have always done things that way. And we can't imagine doing things any other way, particularly because maybe that means my relatives aren't perfect and I don't want to live in that world. But the more that we can dig into why am I committed to this thing? And if so, why am I so committed to it? The more we're going to have a sense of where there's room for compromise, where there's room to meet in the middle, where there's room to find a way forward. I'll close off with the good news, which is if you both want to make this work, and you're prepared to do the work, both on your own jerkitude and on figuring out how to find compromise, you can do that. You can you, Things can improve. You guys can find a way to get on the same page. There can be healing. There can be restoration. But the path forward to that goes through humility. Um, Amen. If you, will, if you will cultivate that humility— it will literally bless everything you do for the rest of your life. There is no part <laughs> yeah. of your life that will not be improved by the humility that you develop. But if you don't, if things improve, it will only be by accident. It will only be because you lucked out. If you for sure want things to improve, then humility is the way forward. That is a great place to start this off. And Lee, I'd love you to pick us up right there on that compromise point. I think that's so, so important. As Jed points out, there are a ton of things in a relationship where the problem is someone is someone is the problem, the way they see things, what they're jerk about. But as he points out, and I think this is what I'd love to get you to hear, there are some things where there's not a bad guy. There's just yep. two situation, two viewpoints where it seems like we're never going to get to the middle on this. Right. That could be something as big as, you know, person A, I definitely want kids, and person B, I just never saw myself doing that. It could be where we live or how we handle money. Yep. And the thing about that is, as Jed points out, there's almost nothing in the world that two people who don't want to figure it out can't get to compromise, but it can seem like an impossible road when you start out. Right. Yes. Uh, that was an excellent setup. And I'm going to hit timeout on, on that and say, I think everybody listening to this podcast should, uh, Send this episode, send a link to this episode to everybody they know, and timestamp Jed's answer on that last question. Thanks, just for bro. the, just for the, just the broad general um, blessing of all society. So that's <laughs> we, definitely true. I also assume that all of our listeners are sending this podcast to everyone they know every week. Right. And if they're not, I'm going to be sure. very disappointed in you people. I literally, as a pastor who has to talk to people about their problems all the time. I wrote down notes from that answer <laughs> that I will transfer onto a Word document later. That's, that's it's, some theft right there. It's, I, it's time to talk about jerkitude. I have <laughs> stolen things from Jed that I will be preaching at my church. <laughs> Count I love it, dude. on it. I love um, it. Hey, here's the thing. Matt, Matt set that up perfectly. 
a, a lot of times, um, that when when especially when couples disagree, there's a disorientation that is emotional and not practical. Let me break this down a little bit. We love each other. We're made for each other. You're my best friend. We're the perfect couple. All of a sudden, we disagree. Now nothing feels like it makes sense. I up is down. Down is up. Dogs and cats living together. It's you know. It's what is it? What is it, Matt? It's mass pandemonium or mass hysteria or something. Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. I mean, it feels like we we're now polar opposites. And I thought we were best friends. I don't know where I am. And. And when we disagree about things with somebody that we care about so much, it feels like there's no overlap of the Venn diagram. When actually, we may have some areas for compromise in the subtleties of this conversation. But we're having a hard time finding those that nuance and those subtleties because of the emotional disorientation of the fact that I disagree on something that seems pretty fundamental with somebody that I care so much about. Where we need to start is it makes sense that you feel disoriented because this is your person, man. This is this is this is your person that you're building a life with. It when you don't agree on something with this person that means so much to you, that is disorienting. And it feels like that uh I don't know if they still do the carnivals that come to the small towns like they did in the town where Matt and I grew up, but the the carnival ride where you get in there and they spin it and then they drop the floor out from underneath you and you're like, how am I not dying when the floor is gone? You know, it's just a disorienting feeling to feel like I disagree with somebody that I love so much. So here's what I, I want to suggest an exercise. And by the way, let me start by saying I 100% agree with the idea that, that you should uh, find a counselor or a therapist. And not only do I just agree with that in a blanket sense, but I also agree with it for this reason, with what Jeb was saying about that. A counselor or a therapist, one thing that they bring to the table in these kinds of issues is they bring up, they ask questions that you guys haven't thought about asking yet. Yep. They they help you to see angles of this that in your fury and disorientation, you physically cannot see. It's it's an it's a physiological fact that when your blood is up you actually can't see as well. <laughs> you can't see the issues as well when you are distressed. And that's what you're experiencing. You're experiencing emotional frustration, disorientation and distress. You are overwhelmed and all of that makes sense. You are not wrong for feeling that way, but a therapist and a counselor will ask questions that you haven't thought of yet and they will expose angles of this situation that you haven't seen yet. Okay, so you should definitely do that. Within that, here's a practical exercise that I would suggest. Go to your corners. (laughs) Uh, Let's let's have a a ding, ding. The, The round is over. Let's go to our corners, and I want to suggest an exercise, which is I would suggest that the two of you write down some things, explaining yourself as much as you can under these headings. Here we go. Why I want slash don't want this thing. Here's another one. What I am worried about slash what I am afraid of. Here's another one. What, why, or sorry, what I believe you aren't hearing in my explanation Slash what I hear you saying. Okay? If we could, 
if you could go to your corners and write down some of these things, why I want slash don't want this, what I'm worried about slash afraid of, what I believe you aren't hearing in me slash what I appear to be hearing in you, then you come together and when you have a cooler head, share those findings together. The really cool thing about an exercise like this is you might actually discover some overlap in the Venn diagram where you guys actually agree on some cool stuff in this. And we might actually find a funky individual way forward that no other couple has ever thought of. Now, if we faced a challenge like that and came up with a creative solution based on some nuance and subtlety where our desires and hopes overlapped in some ways that we couldn't see before, would that not be the coolest thing ever? We would look at this, uh, at this couple high-fiving like, dude, we came up with a solution that's so funky and so creative and so us, and now we have a bond that no other couple has. It feels at the outset like we could never agree and we are polar opposites. But if we could dive into these subtleties and get a cooler head and share our findings together, we might actually find some overlap that allows us to create a solution that is unique, that is creative, and that's, that's you guys, your us, your team. And it might actually draw you together in a stronger bond out of something that started out as a crazy fight. Um, all, all of us guys in this podcast have known married couples who have done some stuff like that. Done, like We've known some married couples that are superstars who have found some unique creative solution by digging into the subtlety and the nuance and getting out of some of the emotional froth, taking a break from that, getting a cooler head, and finding the creative, unique fingerprint of your marriage and finding a way through that where we thought we were on opposite ends and actually we have some a really cool path forward. That is a great place to take that. And Glenn, let you close out here. And um, the question was, is therapy the, the right move? And the answer is yes. Glenn, uh, Jed and Lee have said that, and we're all going to say that. Uh, I was just sitting here thinking, I can't actually think of a situation where someone would come to any of us and ask, do you think I should find someone to talk to where the answer wouldn't be yes? Right, like I'm having right. problems. Should I find someone to talk to? Absolutely. I don't feel like I'm having problems. Should I talk to someone anyway? Absolutely. <laughs> um, so maybe we we can shift gears. And Glenn, I think you're the perfect one to answer this. What are some attitudes and some ideas we can go into therapy with that are going to give us the best chance of getting success there? Well, it's a great question because if you're going to go into any kind of therapy, it, it actually is good to look at what sort of stuff do we need to get together before we go. In other words, if you sort of present the case of what's going on and you kind of flesh it out more, uh, you're going to sort of hit the ground running with that therapy and a lot faster and more effectively. You'd be helping your therapist out, if nothing else. So it's a great question. I think the key thing to start on all of this is why do you want what you want? Hmm. I think here's the thing is uh, my first question on this is if I was having this conversation in real life is what are your respective ages? And um, what stage of your life are you on? In other words, are you right out of school? 
you know, have you been you know, at this a while? My guess is if you're just now discovering that you're not on the same page about major life things, this may be a fairly new marriage uh, and some things you thought you had worked out or, or, you know, thought you had agreement on, but one or the two of you either wasn't clued in or one of the two of you kind of moved in, in your thinking on things. But why is it that you want what you want? What's the story behind why this is? Uh, a lot of people, when they're transitioning out of uh, college life and all that and into the career that they're choosing and then into marriage, if it happens in that order, there's a lot of change and transformation. And what happens is you're taking a sort of an idea of what you think your life always was going to look like into those situations. And what you will inevitably discover is those situations never really will resemble what you had in mind. Uh, so, you know, for, for me, I started in prison ministry and it was exactly what I wanted to do. And I, I, I could never picture myself doing anything else. And if you try to talk me out of it, I wouldn't have been interested. But it turns out that as I grew and, and evolved in my career and other things came up, I found myself uh, you know, working in, in drug rehabs. And I, I find myself working on the streets. And I find there's a lot of overlap there. There's a lot of similarity there. I didn't need to be closed-minded in my thinking. Uh, I could have been more flexible. I'm working different muscles by doing these different ministries. I'm learning, I'm growing. That allows me to do the prison ministry better, but allows me to do this new ministry better as well. So I think we can be in certain stages of our lives kind of closed-minded because it feels like I'm giving up on a dream. It feels like I'm giving up on a vision that I had for my future. I was building towards this goal, and now I don't get to have it, and it doesn't look the way I thought it was going to look. That could be really, you know, tough. That could be very traumatizing and it feel like a very negative thing. But I want you to ask yourself, is that necessarily a bad thing? Uh, it, it may feel bad just because, you know, I had this dream. I, I, I had it pictured a certain way. I thought it would always be that way. My suggestion to you is when you look back on your life, when you get to be in your 50s, let's say, you're going to look at a lot of things you aimed at and you sort of, Mostly got to it, but you ended up on a slightly parallel course that turned out to be way cooler, and you're glad you were on that parallel course. Uh, happiness and fulfillment isn't aiming directly for something and then never deviating from that. That's not a happily ever after thing. Uh, so then, you know, flexibility and patience within relationships is really key because I, I think when you're... <laughs> the, the, this is what you don't understand when you're single. When you become married, there's a part of you that says you are trapped. This is, you, there's no getting out of this. You, it's like you're handcuffed to this other person. And if they decide to go crazy pants, they're going to take you down with them. And, you know, it, the more you let that thinking take root, the more you get worried and paranoid about that, you start fighting for control. And you start fighting for having your way in things. And you, you start seeing surrender as a negative thing and almost an oppressive or abusive kind of thing. 
and you end up fighting for a lot of things you don't need to be fighting for and uh, not realizing that you, you aren't trapped. You aren't being forced into anything. This is a choice you make. Every single day you wake up and you decide to be married today. Mm. Uh, you, you've made a commitment to do that big picture, but it's a, it's a thing that you decide every day. And it's trusting that if you've married a really, really cool person, their values, their goals, their ideas, what they want their life to be about might just be a much better idea than yours to have the humility and the flexibility to consider that, to look at it, to really invest in thinking about it. I think that's a a, a thing that's worth in, investigating to see how good your life can be. That's a really, really beautiful place to close that out. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com if you want to keep that totally anonymous. We are still doing our bridge live cast every single week, 7.30 p.m. Central Time, facebook.com slash thebridgechicago. We're going to check out with another Christmas song this week. This is from our December Bridge Box issue. This is a little Bridge Loud take on joy to the world. Stay with that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, suggesting that maybe it's a bad idea for you to have a Jesus doll that you dress up like you and make him be into your funky antisocial weirdness. <laughs> An angel of the Lord came upon them. The glory of the Lord swore round about them. They were so afraid. So afraid.
us with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, women, and children. Amen. <laughs>